Welcome to the All Things Nintendo podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. I am back from Summer Game Fest 2023, so you can expect a much less noisy episode this week. Our main segment is going to be all about Overwatch 2's upcoming PvE story content. I got my hands on it and talked with the director of the game. We'll be getting into that a little bit later, but joining me for this episode is Game Informer's Wesley LeBlanc. Wes, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm still somehow recovering on the jet lag, I think, from Summer Game Fest, which is weird because I went to Tokyo early this year for our Final Fantasy 16 cover, and jet lag was nothing for me. And for some reason, California's kicking my butt. I don't think it's jet lag, to be honest. I think it's just, <laughs> it's the, just body exhaustion. <laughs> it's just the constant grind of being out at one of those events, because I'm feeling yeah. it too. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm sleeping full eight-hour nights now, but it's like today's the first day that from the jump I felt human. It really is because like, you know, you look at those events, we're booked pretty much immediately after breakfast, sometimes during breakfast. Yeah. All day we're doing stuff. And then in the evenings, we're going out and shaking hands and making making uh, conversations with people in the industry. So like, yeah, I feel like I got a collective 12 hours across five nights. (laughs) (laughs) I had one night, the the second to last night, which, you know, it was a bunch of Xbox stuff on the Sunday. Yeah, And, you know, we, we had a late evening that night and I went to bed. I was like, okay, well, I'll be able to sleep in until the Xbox showcase, which was at, I think, 10 a.m. Pacific. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, I'll get like a solid six hours. I can function on that. My body decided to wake me up at 630 in the morning and I have no oh, idea brutal. why. <laughs> and it was uh, it was a rough day to get through that. And yeah, it that's one day that like I I did a lot of cool stuff, but it was also very much like a struggle constantly. Like I'm sitting there in like a game yeah. demo of a very cool looking game and I can feel myself just kind of like starting to zone out. And I'm like, no, stay awake, stay awake. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's tough to. Yeah, because like. It's such an exhausting event, but then you're also talking to like directors of games that you're covering and stuff. And you're like putting on, I think putting on your game face for that long is just draining as well. I don't know. Like when I'm off work and I get, I get home and I can just kind of like bleh on the couch. You don't get to do that at summer game fest. So you're just always on for like five days straight. I would be back in my room. I'd be back in my room and I'd be like, all right, I can breathe for a second. But yeah. it's like if I'm back in my room and I'm not doing anything, I feel guilty that either I'm not out seeing people that I don't see normally or yeah. I'm not working. For so sure. So it's like yeah. it's a very weird thing where you're just always on, whether it's being quiet and writing up something in your room or, you know, I was editing this last week's episode of All Things Nintendo in my room one morning before I went to the show. And uh, yeah, it's just like your, your brain's constantly functioning until you go to sleep. And even then, like you don't really sleep the full eight hours usually. Yeah, but so worth it. Such a such a great time. It was. It really it was is. It's truly incredible. It's something I look forward to every single year. Before that, it was E3, and you know we went a couple of years without having any kind of physical event in June. So I'm glad yeah. we're back. But I wanted to kick off this episode, kind of talking to you a little bit uh, about Summer Game Fest because we covered a lot of the big stuff from the streams and like our favorite things that we saw on the show floor with Jill Grote last week. But I wanted to get your kind of overall impressions because, like, for lack of a better word or back better phrase, I guess this was like your first like big show, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've done, I got hired like in 2021. So we were like really in the thick of COVID mm-hmm. and not much was happening. And then kind of last year's uh, events started happening again, but that's like preview events where it'd be me and like maybe five other media people and we'd be playing Pokemon or something. Um, this is the first time where it was like everyone in the industry, developers, publishers, executives, journalists, like all of us were in the same city doing the same thing. And it was 
uh, yeah, obviously a very different experience. <laughs> yeah. And, and so what were your overall thoughts of like, kind of like being in kind of the, the epicenter of the games industry, at least for a week? Yeah, it was really, really awesome and cool and somehow exhausting, but also a lot more casual than I thought it'd be. From from talking to people who have been to E3, it sounds like this is 10 times better from like a work standpoint. Oh, for um, sure. I don't know if like, I definitely don't feel the same levels of hype and excitement as E3 used to make me feel, but I was also a fan back then and I was just watching a showcase at home and like losing my mind over all these announcements. Whereas now, like showcases for me mean, you know, you're working and you're writing quick news stories and it's stressful. Um, and I do think there's still a little luster lost to it being spread out so far apart. And sometimes it's part of Jeff Keighley's thing. Sometimes it's not, but sometimes Jeff Keighley says it is. And it's like a whole, you know, it's like <laughs> a, a strange, like hodgepodge of stuff. So I think I like E3's like more streamlined format where, you know, it's like two or three days total. But from like an in-person coverage, just being on the ground, I think uh, SGF was awesome. It's in like, it's basically like a campus of buildings. And yeah, it's nice. You could be eating pizza and you're like, oh crap, I have an appointment woman and I forgot about. And you can make it to that appointment on time because it's right there. Uh, Which by the just, way, that was not something that ever happened at E3 because one, it was like 30 minutes to get from yeah. one side of the convention center to the other. But two, you usually didn't eat during E3 because like there was just no, there were no food options. And like the food options yeah. that were there were like, all right, there's 10,000 people in line right now and it's yeah. terrible food. And the food here was, was pretty good, especially the pizza. I'm not going to name names, but someone who lives in New York told me that this pizza was as good as what they have in New York. I don't I know about that. that. I don't know about that, but it was good pizza. It um, was good you, pizza, but yeah, New York pizza just wipes the floor with it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just being somewhere where there's like, I mean, it's just like all your friends and your homies from the game industry and you're all playing games. And then it's very casual. Like you're on a couch and the TV's in front of you. I was playing Thirsty Suitors, a game I'm looking forward to. And the developer came and sat down and I got to interview him. And I'm sure it's made to feel this way, but it was like very chill. Like I just started asking him questions and we were chatting and it didn't feel very like traditional in the sense that like PR wasn't there, like listening to his every answer and making sure this and that, blah, blah, blah. It was just like, I played your game and now we're talking about it. And then I move on to the next one and do the same thing. And I loved how um, casual, but like professional it was, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like we were getting a lot of work done and seeing games and things to write about, but it was all, it was chill. Like I, I felt pretty chill the whole time. It's, it's, it's hard to explain without being there. Cause you know, having watched from the outside in all these years, um, I didn't know what to expect. And it was still not what I expected, but in a good way. Like, it's just a really good time. I think my main takeaway is I'm very excited about all the games I played and stuff, obviously. But like, it was, it really was so cool meeting and hanging out with people for the first time. I mean, I met you in person for the first time there. <laughs> yeah. like, like, and we've been working together for two and a half years. And like, I got to do that with like a hundred other people that I've known for years and finally meet in person. Just, just so cool. It's, it's a great experience. And like, you know, that's how I got my start really in the industry, aside from like just writing until I was relevant, essentially was I started going to these events and like PAX East 2011 was like my first like quote major games industry event where I just like paid my own way. I took PTO for the weekend and, uh, or for the long weekend and then showed up and was like, Hey, I want to, cover your game and that's basically what i did i interviewed so people cool. and that was kind of like my foot in the door so yeah going to these events is immensely rewarding but you, you mentioned thirsty suitors and like kind of playing that and i know you enjoyed that a lot were there any other favorite things that you saw 
Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Mortal Kombat was really awesome. Um, we got to play Mortal Kombat one. You wiped the floor with me. It was like embarrassing. Um, how I think I beat you once out of like maybe eight rounds together. Um, and of course we had like a Mortal Kombat dev watching behind us. So I'm like, Oh gosh. Um, and then we interviewed Ed Boon shortly after, which, you know, that's a wild statement to say. Um, Cocoon is probably my show standout. Uh, which is uh, from a former designer on Play Dead and Play mm-hmm. Dead's Inside and Limbo. Awesome little sci-fi game. You can read my thoughts on Game Informer. That's coming um, to Switch as well. So is Mortal Kombat. Yes, yeah, yeah. And we, uh, we'll have a video up about Mortal Kombat soon, but we actually uh, talked to Ed Boon specifically about that Switch port. You asked him about it, which... Yeah, um, that interview was actually on last week's episode. Of all things, oh Nintendo. shoot, my bad. Yeah. I hadn't listened yet. I know we're all, well. We're also doing a. I think it'll be a video as well on. Yeah, there'll on be YouTube. a video version of of the interview that you heard last week on All Things Nintendo. So if you want to see our shining faces discussing yeah. discussing uh, both the Switch port and just Mortal Kombat One at large, go to Game Informer's YouTube channel. Yeah, and then the the one game I'm actually bummed I didn't see because I'm just seeing so much hype about it is Alan Wake Two, which I know um, you did see, right? Yeah, that was actually my game of the show. Like I, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I left that demo so impressed. Um, Sam Lake and and his co-director Kyle, um, they just absolutely get it. Like sitting yeah. down and talking with them, they understand what people want from this game. They understand how to masterfully build horror, build tension. I know it's not a, a Nintendo game or a Switch game, so we're not going to spend too much time on it. But like, I came away from that conversation and be like, oh yeah, they uh, like when so we visited. Uh, Finland, Elise Favis, former Game Informer editor, and and I, and, and former Game Informer video editor, Leo Vader, we went out to Finland and visited Remedy in 2019 to see Control. And mm. that was like, okay, yeah, they, this is like kind of like the, the ultimate evolution of all of the Remedy formula. Alan Wake 2 feels like they learned, they, they, they continued evolving the, the Remedy formula, but they also learned so many lessons from Control. Yeah. And I mean, you, know, you may recall that one Game Informer's Game of the Year in 2019. So like, that's a good game to reference. Yeah, for sure. I can't wait to to uh, see more. The, even I mean, just hearing what you and other people who got to see it said, and then just obviously the trailer and the gameplay from SGF. And they're touting um, it as their first survival horror game, which is really yeah. interesting. Yeah, it looks very Resident Evil, very Resident Evil, like two-ish is what I mean, it's the inventory. Vibes. They they brought up the inventory management system and it they're like oh yeah this may look familiar to anybody who's played a, a survival horror game that starts with R. <laughs> That's awesome. And look, yeah, it's not coming to Switch yet, but who knows? They they did they did the control cloud thing like oh, yeah, years right. later. Maybe it comes. I mean, I don't. I'm not the biggest fan of the cloud initiative on Switch, but maybe it comes to Switch. So all this will be, you know, good that we talked about it. Um, and by the way, then, Alan Wake remastered is on Switch. So maybe yes, yeah, yeah. there's a built-in audience potentially. And then other than that, Foam Stars not coming to Switch, so I won't talk about it too much. And we also have Splatoon 3 on Switch already. But Foam Stars, better than I thought it would be. Better than I thought it would be. And so That's like Star- basically like the, the non-Switch uh, owners. We have Splatoon 3 at home. Literally that, yeah. And it, But the soundtrack, I'm telling... I mean, Splatoon 3 soundtrack is pretty incredible. Foam Stars is going to have a banging soundtrack as too. Very well, then- Persona 5-esque. Oh, you just cross-referenced two of my favorite music games of all time, <laughs> Splatoon or soundtracks, Splatoon 3 or just Splatoon franchise as a whole and Persona. Yeah. 
It's very, very persona. Like I, I need to look into it more because it might. Even, I, that singer sounded just like the singer of Persona Five soundtrack. I don't know if it is, but no same, way did they get Lynn. No way. I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think so because I feel like that would have been touted in like marketing and stuff. But exact same vibes. Um, and then the other game probably that stood out to me the most is probably Star Wars Outlaws from Ubisoft. Um, it just looks great. I just was I was so impressed with that first impression, and the gameplay looks fluid and fast and very different for Star Wars. And um, I can't wait. I know it's not coming to Switch, but yeah, man, there's a lot of great games that are there, and it's like we're hearing all these amazing games, and we haven't even gotten the Nintendo Direct for presumably that's coming this summer. So we're we're gonna yeah. talk about like kind of our speculation for that in this episode's definitive ranking on the tail end of this episode. But uh, I guess we'll wrap up kind of like our overall like thoughts on Summer Game Fest there. But did you have a favorite after hours activity that you did? Yeah, probably. I ooh, I've got two. I really enjoyed the Final Fantasy 16 pre-launch event mm. um, just because it was cool to see like so many Final Fantasy um, nerds like myself in one building and having a good time. And they had a giant Efrit statue that's like 25 feet tall which is awesome. And then probably just hanging out at like, uh, so there's like a hotel. It's like the main, I don't know, hub of LA, but the JW Marriott, it's this giant hotel lobby and everyone just, you know, hangs out there and chats and networks. And it was just, I'd heard about it for years, but to like finally be there and do the thing that everyone else has like talked about doing, which is, you know, hang out at the JW late into the night. Um, just so cool to, to actually get to do that. And, um, yeah, hang out with homies. Yeah, that was that's always the highlight of my trip every single time. Like, don't no disrespect to the games that we're seeing, no disrespect to the developers that we're interviewing, but just hanging out in a casual setting with all these people from the industry is always such a highlight because yeah. the vast majority of the people that we interact with are just amazing, amazing folks. And it's yeah. great to like get to know them better. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just fun. I mean, like we talk about games sometimes, but I, I, I bet people would be surprised how like little we do talk about games. Like it's, we're just like hanging out and having a really good time. And um, yeah. Just, usually most of the game talk is like, oh, what was your favorite thing that you saw today? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, oh, should, is this worth going? Like, should I go check this out if I can? Blah, blah, blah. Very cool. Yeah, um, I did make it to the Final Fantasy 16 pre-launch party as well at the very beginning. I unfortunately had to go to another event after that. But, yeah. um, you know, it it was a cool thing to see all those people like kind of jam packed in there. Was it just basically like panels the entire time? Yeah, so they had like a outside area where there's like food and then and then inside this giant warehouse, they had like these massive, probably the biggest video screens I've ever seen. And oh, yeah. they were doing they were doing panels with the developers. And when the developers weren't on stage doing panels, they were outside doing like a meet and greet. Um, I listened to some of the panels. I will say, you know, if you're if you read Game Informer, if you uh, paid attention to our Final Fantasy 16 coverage, there wasn't anything too new out of those panels. So I felt pretty good oh. about that. I talked to the same people, same developers, and there was only a few things that I didn't hear from them um, that I wrote about. So I was like, you know what? I did a pretty good job. Uh, two months ago interviewing them which was cool uh but yeah just seeing it just yeah people just being hype oh and there was like demo kiosks too people got to play what the press had played back in february or last month or something like that i don't know but everything that press has played for previews was basically there to play as a demo the thing that disappointed me the most was that i couldn't stick around for the music panel because uh yeah i love alex mukala who mm -hmm. you, you may have seen his videos where he just like kind of 
reimagines a lot of video game music. He loves doing Final Fantasy. He's done some amazing Persona covers um, on social media, but like he did a collaboration with the composer of Final Fantasy 16. And I was so bummed that I had to leave before that part of the panel. Did you get to see that one? Yes, I was there and um, it was awesome. It was as awesome as you think. He's uh, Alex is like a really cool um, just person in general, not to mention he's extremely talented. Uh, and just hearing the two of them talk about music and they even released like a video where they were playing a song, I think from the game together. Uh, I love to check that out. Yeah, it's very cool. Soken is also a genuine delight. He was probably my favorite person I interviewed for the cover story. He's just like, he loves life and he loves Final Fantasy. And I think he goes about creating music, which mind you is like some of Final Fantasy's best in a very creative way, um, which is he doesn't write anything till it's fully playable. That way he can play it and then kind of process the emotions he felt while playing it and then write the song, which I think is a very fascinating, probably stressful way to uh, write yeah. music. But yeah, um, awesome, awesome panel. That was probably my favorite panel. Yeah, that was the one that I was bummed I couldn't miss. But all right, we've talked enough about non-Nintendo related stuff on this very specific Nintendo podcast. Um, but let's jump into some news here. We don't have a ton, despite the fact that it was just Summer Game Fest. I think we covered a lot of the stuff last week, but we do have some stuff that's lingering that we didn't talk about on last week's episode. And then we're going to end this this first segment with some impressions about a few games that we played after I recorded last week. Um, that we're going to talk about later on in this segment. But the first piece of news that I want to talk about is Atlas. They, uh, before we recorded last week's episode, leaked their own announcement for yep. <laughs> um, before the Xbox stream that happened on Sunday. But uh, they revealed two new Persona projects. One is a Persona 3 remake, which I have been wanting for a long, long time. Uh, it looks amazing. However, it's not coming to Switch. So I guess we're just going to stick with the second announcement, which is coming to Switch, is called Persona 5 Tactica. Uh, as the name implies, it is a tactical game in the Persona 5 universe, so it follows the story of Persona 5 and Persona 5 Strikers. It uses kind of a chibi art style, which I'm not sure how I feel about. Like, I kind of like the yeah. art style of the original Persona games, which feels weird to say original Persona game, Persona 5 games. Oh, you mean... Oh, okay, I was going to say... Yeah, I like wasn't the, sure if, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Persona 5 has such a striking art style. Yeah, And it feels weird to kind of iterate that. I know that they're trying to go for kind of like that Persona Q vibe in terms of like the art style, but like why why mess with, with perfection is kind of the feeling that I have. But regardless, you know, it's, it's going to be good to have another adventure with these characters. That was my favorite part of Persona 5 Strikers. And uh, basically the, per the party from Persona 5 gets sucked into a different world and they kind of remark that, oh, it looks like a palace. But then there's like this <laughs> other faction called the Rebel Corps. And they seem like they're allies based on the dialogue, but I would not be surprised if there's some weird twists on that. And uh, basically looks like your kind of standard grid-based strategy game with like some Persona 5-esque mechanics. Like I know there's baton passes and stuff like that and Personas, obviously. But uh, have you kept up with the Persona 5 games at all? I am 80 hours into Persona 5 Royal. So you're um, passing the tutorial right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, I play a palace. Like, a, I don't know. You can kind of treat the palaces as like an arc. Like the palace mm -hmm. and the associated stuff that happens in the game. So I usually take a break after each palace because each one's like 20 to 30 hours. Yeah, um, like if you, if you include all the arcs and like after hour stuff that you can do. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, it's on my list to beat. I feel like I need to especially rush now because I do want to play Tactica. Um, you should but, really play Strikers if you like the characters. Like... Strikers yes. is a completely different style game. 
and both these games are on Switch, so like it's it's very easy to, to it's play a them. So right. Yeah, it well it is, but it isn't. Like it's it utilizes it, it incorporates turn based stuff almost in the way that uh, Final Fantasy VII remake does, where it's like oh. yeah, it's a Muso, but it also like because it's from the, the the team that does uh, like Hyrule Warriors and uh, yeah, Fire yeah. Emblem Warriors and all that stuff. But like they also have like a turn based thing. When you summon your persona, the action freezes, and you can like choose which which spell you want to cast basically that's cool that team's really good at turning miso like taking a property and making it a miso but still making it unique to that property they did this that. feels the most unique to the, the yeah. property that they've done yeah i want to check it out um is it canon i believe so like they, they kind of made it seem like yeah this is like following the story like they kind of go on this road trip and then they uncover some stuff that's going on yeah that was my only thing with tactica was like the i don't it doesn't feel canon and i kind of hate that only because you know if you're investing so much time into these characters i don't know it's kind of like what the um breath of the wild uh, muso i forget the name of it uh, age of calamity yeah i don't really i mean i won't spoil it here but i didn't i don't really like what they did with that story because it kind of just i don't know made it not as impactful and i'm, yeah. I'm a little worried the story of tactical might be that way but gameplay looks solid very excited yeah and i love a good turn-based tactics game and again I've said this so many times. The Switch is becoming such a great place for people who love strategy and tactics games. There's like, like no no better platform for sure. Uh, I mean, Sw- uh, Steam probably. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but like, get, yeah. You have Triangle Strategy. You have Mario Plus Rabbids. You have all these great games. Fire Emblem. Like it, it's wild how good the platform is for a previously very niche genre. Yeah, and it seems to be blowing up. I mean, I, we, do we have a triangle strategy story in this episode? Uh, no, we don't. Okay, well, I'll just mention it here. They uh, have an update coming soon that includes like a whole new story for free. Jeez. Which is yeah, wild. I, it, it, it's just an incredible platform for strategy games. But anyway, Persona 5 Tactica comes to Switch and pretty much every other major platform on November 17th. So this year, very excited for that one. Um, next up, we have an announcement of a Nintendo tour. You know about this? The Summer yeah. of Play. Oh, no, I don't know about this. I'm no, so it's the Summer of Play tour, which leads up to the Nintendo Live event at PAX West this year. And so at these events, there it's basically just in shopping malls around the country. And you'll be able to play Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which I already own, Tears of the Kingdom, which I already own, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, Animal Crossing New Horizons, both of which I already own, and then Pikmin 4. Okay, I was going to say, like, where's the where's the pool? Why am I going to this? But there we go. But yeah, Pikmin 4 is obviously the big attraction for people like, you know, us who've kept up with all the major Switch games to this point. But like, that's a solid stable of games for, like, the main goal of this event, which is basically to get more people to buy a Switch, I would imagine. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the 10 people that don't have it, this should get them to buy it. <laughs> I mean, but also, even if like you're just like, oh, I've been hearing a lot about this Tears of the Kingdom game, you can go see it in action. Or like Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, which I hope it runs better than it did at launch. I haven't fired it up yeah. in a long time, uh, but that's not going to really encourage anybody to buy a Switch if you see Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. But Also, like a Tears of the Kingdom, a 15-minute demo sounds terrible. <laughs> like you, I would be so confused <laughs> if they were like, yeah, you can play this game for 15 minutes. I'd be like, what is happening? Well, there's also going to be special swag that you can get if you collect all the stamps for like doing the activities around the station. And then you also get 100 My Nintendo Platinum points if you have an account. Oh, nice. I love swag. And then here's the good news, Wes. I think we're both going to be able to attend 
but like, it, oh, it might be a bit of a drive for you. Uh-huh. Um, so each weekend it's in a new spot, uh, starting. So it's, I think it's Thursday through Sunday is when they're set up in the malls. Minneapolis, where I live is this weekend. It's the first oh, stop. Shoot, they must nice. have known. Um, then cool. De- Detroit is next weekend. And then subsequent weekends after that are New York, Knoxville, Orlando, oh. Austin, Denver, and then finally Los Angeles. So they should come to Jacksonville and do it in a Waffle House. <laughs> Does this seem like something you would uh, go check out? Like, are you going to make the trip down to Orlando for this? I might actually. I've got a, a friend who is also into gaming enough where we I could be like, yo, what if we drove down to Orlando and played games that we already own on Switch? Um, <laughs> and I mean, Pikmin I would, 4. And Pikmin 4, yeah. I would, I would, I think I would do it. I used to do this for, they used to do this with Pokemon back mm-hmm. in the day and i loved those i mean at the pokemon one, you got like exclusive pokemon via mystery gift which is awesome but um yeah i think i would i would do this depending on the day i might i might go down to orlando yeah i mean how far of a drive is that for you about two to three hours depending on traffic oh, but it's a well, nice I hope, drive i like I it i hope you have other stuff to do in orlando because i've been to these before and they're, they're pretty low-key they just take up like kind of like a a, a center like rotunda of a mall and then like they're like oh yeah. yeah yeah swing by and there's like probably like 10 switch stations set up and you can see like all the stuff and it, it's fine but like my, my favorite restaurant ever is in orlando so I, I have a good excuse to go there then planet hollywood baby <laughs> yes yeah no it's called <laughs> susuru and it is an incredible uh japanese restaurant with ramen and i forget the name of it but it's modeled after like the street food style uh do you remember what it's called when they like they grill stuff on the grills in the little alleyways in Japan? No, There's like I, a name. There's I know a name what you're talking it. about. It's that kind of food and it's phenomenal. And the inside of the restaurant is all like 1950s, uh, post-World War II, like Japan, uh, like animes and like uh, manga, not anime, but mangas and all. It's it's awesome. Look it up. Susuru in Orlando. If you're listening and you're ever in, or- in Orlando, go there. <laughs> Shout out to Susuru. All right. Yeah. Did you ever check out Shredder's Revenge, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game? I did, yeah. So did you see this news that developer Tribute Games has announced a new expansion for it? Yeah, very cool. I learned from our story that Marcus wrote that that character is not a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles character, even though I thought it was. Well, he has appeared in the uh, the comics and the, the animated series. So yes. it's Usagi Yojimbo. Yeah, and um, I guess it was his name originally was Miyamoto Yosagi, which I I don't know if there's a reason. I mean, I know Miyamoto was actually before he was a famous video game developer. That was the name of a famous samurai, like back in feudal oh. Japan. Um, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm if I'm completely botching like what era of Japanese history um, that that samurai is from, but I, I'm assuming that's what it was named after, not not the famous game developer. But nice. um, yeah, so he's appeared in the animated series and the comics. And there's also a new mode with uh, new kinds of battles, plus new skins for the playable characters, which is cool. Yeah. So like you can choose like different skins from like across the different eras of uh, like Ninja Turtles. Like there's one that's like, oh, this this kind of has the same coloring as like the movie or this has like kind of like the, the head bandana that um, like have been in some of the movies or TV shows. So that's kind of cool. And then here's the part that I'm most excited about, probably. New music from T. Lopes. Yeah. Just the master of kind of the nostalgic, but also completely new soundtrack. Yeah. It's, uh, I haven't beaten Shredder's Revenge, but I listened to the full soundtrack. As it's so good. Because it's really good. It's great for writing and getting hype. 
So unfortunately, we don't have a date for this, but it is set to come out later this year. And that's going to be the perfect excuse for me to go back and beat this for probably a fourth time, I think, at this point. Nice. That's a very good game. I I, I loved um, I've always loved the, the old school Ninja Turtles games and to have a game that pays homage to that and improves on that formula in so many different ways is just a delight. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm glad to have another reason to jump back into that. Also, my uh, my uh, former co-host of my old podcast that I used to do, he is a nor- an enormous Ninja Turtles fan. So that'll give us an excuse to have a game night again, which will be fun. Nice. That's awesome. So this is the last news piece that I want to go over on this episode before we jump into full-on preview mode here. On an episode of a podcast called The Hot Mike Podcast, film critic Jeff Snyder seemed to indicate that he had a pretty big scoop. And I'm reading this over on NintendoLife.com. Here's his quote. I don't think what I'm about to say is a huge surprise. I'm told that Universal is, in fact, closing a big deal with the Nintendo Corporation for The Legend of Zelda. Zelda is looking like the next big Illumination cross Nintendo franchise, which, again, I think we were all sort of expecting. But, yeah, I'm told that is happening. And I'm going to I'm going to cost it's going to cost Universal a pretty penny because of the success of Super Mario. Nintendo kind of knows it's worth at this point. But yeah, I'm told that is now going to be a reality. So for a while, that kind of set the internet ablaze. Like being like, oh my God, this guy has this inside scoop, which he still very well may. And like, you know, this is kind of par for the course. But uh, Illumination CEO and Mario movie producer Chris Melodondri gave an interview to The Wrap. And I'm reading this on GameSpot. He says, this this was just uh, recently, like this was a couple of days after that, that original quote. He said, quote, I mean, I can understand how people would surmise all sorts of things because obviously we've had a great experience working together. My relationship with Nintendo now includes being on their board of directors. But in terms of the specifics, that was just something that I've been hearing a lot, hearing lots of rumors. This is just what's next between Nintendo and Illumin. This is just about what's next between Nintendo and Illumination. Basically seeming like he's denying it. Yeah, I did. Um, it's funny that you, uh, we added this story last minute, right? This is the one. Yeah. Yeah, and I was on Twitter watching this happen. So the Illumination CEO did say basically that like Illumination's not working on uh, a Zelda movie, but Jeff Snyder, I saw him tweet like very recently that the Illumination part of his scoop was speculation on his end, that the scoop is that Universal is making a Zelda movie and Universal has other studios within it, so not Illumination. So I still think it could be a possibility, which makes sense because Illumination crushed Super Mario movie. Why not let them build out the Super Mario aspect of this universe? And then I'm sure Universal, one of their other studios, can now start doing the same for Zelda. So I still I still think that this is probably spot on. But I don't yeah, I don't think Illumination is going to be making it. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people jumped into, oh, it's, it's going to be Illumination. And, yeah. But I, I would be very surprised if they got Illumination to do that. It just seems like it's, a, it's different tonally than what they do. Yeah, I don't. I, I I do wonder. Like maybe I don't know who does the How to Train Your Dragon movies, but I feel like that'd be a good fit for Zelda. Illumination's more of that like slapsticky comedy. Yeah, minion uh, style. Thing. Yeah, I, I want to see a minion dressed as Link, but I don't necessarily want a, a Zelda movie from that studio. <laughs> I don't know if I want to see a minion dressed as Link. <laughs> yeah, uh, but there is actually one more thing that we're gonna go over before we wrap up the news part. Uh, related news, actually. An interview with Entertainment Tonight Online, former All Things Nintendo guest Chris Pratt, <laughs> also the voice oh, nice. of Mario, uh, he teased that we might get news about a new Mario movie soon. 
but it's going to be on hold until the writer's strike is over. Uh, he said, quote, we're in the midst of this writer's strike. And so everything has been paused and put on hold for the right reasons. I really do support the WGA and our writers. When the negotiations have been completed and the writers feel comfortable moving forward, then it'll be time to start talking about what's next for that. It was basically yeah. like a, it, a kind of a news piece that was spun out of a fluff piece, it seemed, for Entertainment Today. Yeah. It was like basically about like how are he and his wife celebrating their anniversary. And then I guess they got on the topic of the Mario movie and he, they got like a nice little scoop out of it. That's how you do the best stories. You reel them in with a little something soft story and then you <laughs> ask about Mario and here we are. Yeah. So anyway, there's that. Uh, we, uh, of course, we we also support the WGA and the the writers while they're they're on strike, and they they deserve to get paid. And they deserve to have the the negotiating power that they're wanting. So uh, good on Chris to kind of come out in public support of them as well. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. But um, Wes, I'd indicated that I wanted to end this first segment with some kind of lingering impressions. We're, we don't have to dwell too much on these games that I'm going to bring up here, but just some stuff from Summer Game Fest that I think that might interest the listeners of this podcast. Uh, two of mine, uh, both of mine, I only have two, um, are mobile games. They're not actually Nintendo games or on Switch, but they are Nintendo adjacent. So the mm. first one is Monster Hunter Now. These, this mm. is from uh, Niantic, the company that does Pokemon Go. And they are making like a full on like action RPG that's based on like the maps uh, around you. So like it's still map based like Pokemon Go where you walk around and you, you encounter monsters and you go in and instead of like the kind of tap, 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 tap that you get in like Pokemon Go battles, these are like actually like, all right, you swipe left to dodge left, you swipe right, to dodge right, you swipe forward to move like closer and swipe back to move back. And then there's like a, a cooldown on like a, an attack that you can do. And, you know, you can equip different weapons to your, your hunter. And then when you defeat a monster, you can, like, get, like, all of these, um, like, the loot and then craft new upgrades to your existing weapons. And there's different weapons. Like, there's a range, like, kind of, like, bolt gun. There's a, uh, there's, like, the, the sword and shield combo. There's, like, two short swords. There's a long sword, which has a lot of power and range, but it's kind of slow. So I like that, like, they're kind of digging deeper into the like kind of action RPG elements of monster hunter, instead of just relying on kind of the same formula that they've gone where it's like, okay, you walk around and you encounter things and you just tap a screen until they're yours or you throw a ball at them. And like, I, I think yeah. that it's, it, 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 I was pleasantly surprised. I don't know if I'm going to play it cause I'm not the biggest monster hunter fan in general, but like I, I could see why somebody who likes monster hunter would enjoy this game. Yeah, and Monster Hunter fans like really love Monster Hunter, so I think this could do well. And I do think it's good that they're kind of branching out mechanically because uh, Pokemon Go is a hit, but they haven't really found massive success compared. I mean, how do you compare to Pokemon Go? But yeah, I feel like just replicating it with a different IP hasn't really worked out. So I'm excited to see them kind of dive deeper into that IP's mechanics to kind of translate it to a mobile experience. Yeah, I I'm very optimistic about this one um yep. and also you, you know pokemon go is also kind of faded a little bit it still has a very strong following it's just you know it's come down from like the the mainstream biggest story on the planet that it was in 2016 because nothing could possibly maintain that for this long but you know yeah. while i was at summer game fest i also got to check out the new updates coming to pokemon go oh nice so there are two big things there's uh, showcases, which are going to be little events that like pop up around. I believe they're at Pokestops and you go over and it'll be like, Hey, go ahead and like show us the, like the biggest EV that you have. And like, it, it can like go off of like different traits, like show us the EV with like the highest attack power or show us 
like the highest uh, CP, but like the one that I saw was like, all right, we want to see like which one, like what show us the Litten that is like the biggest, like physically. And everybody just like, kind of like leaves their high score of like, Oh, this is the Litten that I have that weighs the most. And everybody who participates gets some rewards, but it like the top people get like really good rewards. They haven't, they haven't finalized what the rewards are going to be, but I mean, that seems like a cool little way just to get like extra engagement, extra ways to like get rewards and kind of building that sense of community. But it reminds me of the, um, in the games when you like go to talk to an NPC and they're like, I'd love to see a Eevee right now. Yeah. And you show them and they give you something. Yeah. That's cool. And then here is the big one routes. So basically this is a way that's like really kind of continuing the, the excitement that Pokemon go had where it was like, it's showing you things around your hometown or like, so basically you like walk and you can like designate like, all right, I want to start a route now. And you just kind of walk and like can take people on tours, basically virtual tours. And you could like type in like a, a, a description and like put like tags on it. Like this is an easy, easy walk or lots of restaurants or something like that. But like you can basically walk around and have people can follow your route. And while they're following the route, they will have like Pokemon spawning around them as well. So it's like an incentive oh, to follow cool. your, your, your path that you set. And I think they said it can go anywhere from like half a kilometer all the way up to 20 kilometers. So like you can make something really intricate. And like the way they were describing was like, you know, not a lot of people know about this like cool waterfall that I live by. So like you can like start at like a Pokestop. Somebody can see like, oh, there's like a hidden waterfall that you can start at this Pokestop. And like you'll walk through the woods and you'll find this waterfall. And like that's kind of the one of the ways that they can do it is like kind of like showing people stuff or like, hey, let me show you like the the walk to like my favorite coffee shop and like or like here's a here's a walk from like my favorite coffee shop down along the river and like back up to the main street or something like that and you can set different parameters and different uh tags and everything that seems like it's really going to be a cool thing yeah, to like, awesome. for like discovery and like if you really know like your hometown well or if like you're in a city that you're not normally in and you want to know like where a cool spot to go is like that that seems like a really great option and a really great feature coming to that game yeah, I like that. That's awesome. It's and the cool fact that they're like, still like iterating these this many years later. Yeah, and the fact that Pokemon are spawning around you, like it's like it gives you incentive to continue down the route. And like even if there's nothing out there, like if you're in the middle of the woods and there's no Pokestops or gyms or anything like that, you still get like all the spawns and everything along that route. Yeah, that's neat. So yeah, those were the, the two that I saw that I still wanted to talk about on this episode. Wes, you have something that you have to talk about. You got some extended hands-on on a uh, pretty highly anticipated Switch game. So I want to know all about your time playing Disney Illusion Island. Yeah, so um, you'll be able to read about this very soon. Um, can I say in our upcoming magazine? You can. Yeah, yeah. In our upcoming issue, I have a four-page feature on this game. I got to go. So I interviewed uh, two of the leads from the studio. I went to uh, a Disney campus um, in LA, which is really cool as a as a Disney fan, um, and played the game there and uh, even played some co-op with the devs um, to kind of figure out more of what this game is about. So first and foremost, I'll just say if you are a Disney fan, like this is a game for you. It is made by people who really love Disney and know their Disney stuff and not just like let it go from frozen, but like they know the history of Disney and Mickey mouse and like what that mascot means to the world and to the ethos of the theme parks and the the movies and this TV shows and the shorts. I think that was, that's what I came away most impressed with was just their knowledge on Disney. Um, and 
you know, uh, I guess unsurprisingly, that translates to a really well-made uh, Mickey Mouse game, which is the first Mickey Mouse game in a while. And it is a best way to describe it would be a 2D Metroidvania. Uh, they kind of shy away from the term Metroidvania a bit because there is no combat in the game mm-hmm. and, and they feel that combat's a big part of that formula. But they also understand uh, and, and say that it's, it's inspired by Metroidvanias. It's a massive map. It's all interconnected. You unlock more of it as you unlock abilities. You'll reach spots that you can't quite you know, advance through because you don't have the ability yet. And then you can mark on the map like, oh, come back here. Um, and yeah, you're just finding like tons of collectibles, hidden areas, all kind of stuff. It's a Metroidvania through and through, um, but with like a Disney spin on it. So you play as Mickey or Minnie or Donald or Goofy, and they all play the same, same abilities and everything, but they each have their own little touches to it. Like Mickey's extended jump, he uses a, uh, jet pack, whereas Goofy uses a spicy pepper to kind of propel himself forward. So it's the same movement, but you're getting like a fun, cute animation. And yeah, they a even twist on the character. Exactly. Yeah. And they even move differently. Uh, Mickey moves kind of like, uh, as you'd expect, like, oh, that's what Mickey Mouse looks like when he's running. Yeah. Goofy is a little more lumbering because he's like a tall, you know, kind of goofy dude. Uh, sorry for using <laughs> goofy like that. Um, but yeah, he kind of lumbers around. How the map. dare you? <laughs> and, um, yeah, so you're you're trying you're in this new area. It's a brand new land called Monoth. So this team got to create that. And my feature, which you can read in the magazine, goes all, it's all about um, you know what goes into creating something new for Disney and a brand new world with brand new characters. But basically, in this world, they've been kind of tricked to go there and save it. They thought they were going on a picnic, but it turns out they are there to um, collect three tomes that have been kind of stolen from the people of Monoth. I and hate it when I try to go on a picnic and I have to collect three tomes that have been stolen by, from the people of Monoth. It happens more often than you think. It ha- at least here in Florida. I don't know what's going on up there in Minnesota, but in Florida, Florida is just lawless. So yeah, growing up, my mom always said like, "Don't accept picnic invites. It's never good." It, it's always a trick, really. Yeah. Next thing you know, you have to collect three tomes that have been stolen from the people of Monoth. <laughs> yeah, and so. So you're, you're, you're platforming around this world and there's no combat, but there are enemies. Um, and so you're jumping, you're double jumping, you're long jumping. Um, there's ground pounds, there's wall jumping, and it all feels really, really good. It's fluid. And uh, something I especially appreciated out of the movement was that I was nonstop. Like it's not the kind of movement system where you're going to like, oh, platform, wait, let me see what my next move is. Okay, let's do that. Let's do this. Like if you want to just like blitz from the left side of the screen to the right side, it's built for that. And it's very fluid and it's fun being like long jump, double jump, wall jump, uh, jump, drop down, ground pound, double jump. It's like, it's, it's really, it just feels good chaining them together. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it's about. And I think it's important because there's no combat. So like you really need to have fun platforming because that's what you're doing. And I think they've, I think they've done a really good job at that. One thing I will say is it's a pretty simple game, at least in the hours I played. You know, it, there's still a lot more game to play. Maybe things ramp up. Um, but I don't know. It's a, it's a it's Mickey Mouse. The target audience, part of the target audience is children. Like a child needs to be able to enjoy this and not be, you know, grinding their teeth like we might while playing a Castlevania or something like that. Castlevania, um, that's the one you pulled? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess I don't know how many kids are playing Castlevania, but... Um, yeah. And so, uh, 
trying to think. Let me. I'm looking at my a story right now. There's stuff I don't want to say, obviously, because you should go read the piece because I'm quite proud of it. Um, but yeah, something I find really fascinating with it as a fan of Disney and Disney history is there's a ton of lore in the collectibles. So like all, almost every collectible gives you lore about Monoth in some way, but it also gives you, you might find like Pete's underpants from the 1990 Mickey Mouse short, uh, the Prince and the Pauper. Is that uh, the, the rarest of loot? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, people are still trying to find those today. Is that um, why it's rated M for mature? <laughs> yeah, but no, it's, it's awesome seeing like all this, uh, like Disney lore. And this is kind of where the show, the uh, team gets to like show their Disney chops is, I mean, when you think of Disney, it's probably easy to go to like a frozen or something like that. But this team like really did the research and it shows like there's stuff from 1937 skits and skits from the, and shorts from the forties. And even like little musical touches remind me of like, Oh, this theme park ride or this theme park ride. And, um, it's, it's really cool. It's going to be a great game for people that like platformers, and it's going to be an extra rewarding game for people that like Disney history. Um, and I, that's something I especially like. And the last thing I want awesome to... It's probably awesome for playing with like kids, right? Like if you have like kids oh, that are just yeah. getting into gaming. Like I know like uh, Matt Miller, our editor-in-chief, he is just getting his his kid into playing games, and he is yeah. loving games like this, like New Super Mario Brothers. He's he's had a good time with that, like the Kirby games that you can play co op. He loves playing those. Yeah. So this, this sounds like it's ripe ripe for him. Yeah, this will be perfect too because so when you pick your character, you pick how many hearts you want. Three is like pretty easy time. Two is balanced. One is like basically a hard mode because you take one hit, you die. Mm. Um, or sorry, you don't die. Mickey doesn't die. He gets uh, stamped, which you'll see what that means in the game. Um, or you can just do unlimited hearts and then not have to worry about it. So like, yeah, if you're playing with like, if I'm playing with my eight-year-old nephew and he's getting frustrated, I can just pop on unlimited hearts and we're good to go. Plus on top of that, in co-op, there's like additional features that are not available in solo. Um, if you, you can go up to a character and hug them and hugging them gives both characters an extra heart and you can do that anytime you want. So if you take damage and you're like, crap, didn't mean to do that, you Mickey and Minnie can hug and then boom, a new heart. Uh, well, that would be a good friendship if he was ever in Mortal Kombat, but then they just said they, they don't like having him killed. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to see Mickey in a Mortal Kombat right, probably well, ever. But I'm crossing Bruno, it off my, my list. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can also, uh, a character can like kind of lean down or like crouch leapfrog style, and then another character can jump off of them for like a bigger jump. So if like a jump's giving you extra trouble, you can make it easy with that. And then the last piece is if there's lots of verticality this game. It's a Metroidvania, so you're going up, down, left, and right. Um, if you're somewhere up top, but say my nephew is struggling to like jump up to where I'm at and platform his way up, I can just drop a rope down to him and he can grab the rope and I just pull him right up to the top of me, skipping the whole platforming elements altogether. Um, which is something I very much appreciate because I, I, there's still challenge in the game to be had, and I can make it even more challenging by playing with one heart. But if I'm playing with my nephew who, you know, is still learning about how to play games in general and he gets a little more frustrated easily, I can kind of turn on all these different systems to make it easy. I can, you know, give him hearts when he loses them, turn on unlimited hearts, use a rope so he can just skip this platforming element that he finds frustrating. Um, it's really cool how they built this game for, you know, adults who enjoy Disney and Metroidvanias, but also uh, potentially their children that are going to be playing couch co-op with them. Um, and I should note, it is couch co-op only, up to four players, uh, local co-op. Okay, well, I mean, it sounds like you're very excited for this game. It sounds like a lot of people who 
are either Disney fans, platforming fans, uh, Metroidvania, you know, minus the combat aspect of it, or just have like kids that they want to play this game with, they, they should look forward to this game. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there isn't combat, but I did fight a boss, um, but I'll save that for the feature that you can read about because I kind of go into more in depth there. But like, you'll still feel at home even without combat. Like sure. combat, you, uh, the, the, the team told me, they didn't have combat and then they were like really like you know kind of stressing about that like when and the way people are going to react but they've said that they their telltale was that they didn't miss the combat while playing it and i think i'm kind of in the same boat while playing and platforming and stuff i wasn't like man i wish there was combat or i wish i could hit this enemy i enjoyed the movement enough where i didn't feel like i needed combat um and i'm excited for more people to uh check it out but yeah i think it's going to be i think it's going to be a really good time i'm i'm excited for it that comes out July 28th, right? Yep, exclusively on Switch. All right. Well, Wes, thank you so much for sharing your impressions on that. We are going to take a quick break, and when we get back, I'm going to give my exclusive impressions on the Overwatch 2 PvE story missions that are coming to the game in August. We will be right back. I've made my feelings known on this podcast about how Overwatch 2's life cycle has gone. Many of those feelings had nothing to do with how the game plays, but rather the free-to-play battle pass structure and also that Blizzard seemingly just abandoned Overwatch 1 at the end of its life. However, last week Blizzard reached out to me and asked me if I would like to come visit their headquarters and be the first person outside of the company to experience one of the upcoming co-op story missions. So we, we took some scheduling efforts and everything given how busy last week was, but we made it work. And you may recall all of the headlines a few weeks ago, and we even talked about it a little bit on this podcast, that the PvE in Overwatch was canceled. And I found that those reports were a little bit exaggerated. And you may have seen that if, I, if you read my thing that I wrote up on GameInformer.com about it. But basically, uh, Blizzard even acknowledged that they may not have been the clearest in their messaging. But basically what it was, was the hero missions, which were part of a mode where the characters all had distinct abilities and skill trees that you could develop them over time that part was canceled. So it was kind of the more substantial thing. Blizzard still has story missions, which are exactly what they sound like. They're, they're co-op missions with cutscenes in the beginning, middle, and end. They're meant to tell kind of the story of Overwatch in a structured manner because to this point, you know, Overwatch has just told its story through media outside of the game, like with like, you know, the cinematics that they release and with subtle environmental storytelling, like on the one map, like when Doomfist was about to be in, like launched, they were like, all right, well, now, like, the, the gauntlet is gone. And so he, like, retrieved the gauntlet. And, like, one of the, the Omnics was, like, smashed through the wall. Um, so those story missions, those are still incoming. And that's what I went to play. And I played with three developers, including the game director, Aaron Keller. And we played Toronto, which is the middle of the first batch of three story missions. So, Wes, are you excited for this type of stuff? Are you? Are, have, when's the last time you played Overwatch? Um, season one. Uh, so Overwatch I, 2 though, but it was oh, after yes. Overwatch 2 came out. Yeah, yeah. I, I have hundreds of hours in Overwatch 1 and I liked Overwatch 2, but I don't know if for me it transitioned into the free-to-play Battle Pass seasonal game as well as I would have liked. And yeah, Fortnite is my current Battle Pass game and I can only really handle maybe one of those at a time so i was thinking that too and i was like oh man i really want to get back into overwatch because i used to play it every single night i have over a thousand hours logged in overwatch one yeah and you know i reviewed overwatch two for us i love the core gameplay still and that's why i scored it so high but like once it revealed itself post-launch to be like 
here's how the battle pass works. I really got soured on the experience. And it's like, you know, our, the, the very nature of our jobs is we have to jump from game to game to game to game pretty often. Yep. So it's hard to have like a daily play game. Like I have my, my dumb Marvel game on my phone and I play Marvel Snap most days. But it's like it's really hard to kind of keep up with one singular game over the course of a long period of time. And for that reason, you know, I kind of fell off because I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm this, we're already so late in the season. I haven't played for like a week and a half. I, I might as well not even try to get any of the battle pass stuff. So it almost discourages me from playing. And by the way, I had a chance to before we get into the, the stuff that I'm very positive on. I did have a chance to interview the director of Overwatch 2. Uh, I mentioned his name, Aaron Keller. And I did make my displeasure known about the battle pass. So it wasn't like, you know, we had a very positive conversation on like what is coming to this season. Cause it, th- when we get into it, you'll see like what, what I mean, like this season, season six, which is the next one is going to be a substantial, probably the biggest release overwatch has ever done aside from like overwatch one, and overwatch two. Yeah. But you know, I, I did, I was like, Hey, is there any like wiggle room for like fixing the battle pass structure? And, you know, he gave me kind of like the PR probably PR coach speech of like, you know, we're always evaluating. We have made improvements in the time since, but what I, what I, I was like, you know, basically told him exactly what I just told you. Like it, it almost discourages me from playing at times. And I, I said like, you know, I, the game itself has a lot of faults. Halo infinite has a lot of faults, but they do the battle pass system pretty well, where it's like, if you buy the premium battle pass, that, pa- that battle pass is yours to earn indefinitely. So like if I drop, you know, $10 on the battle pass or $20 on the battle pass or however much a game's battle pass is, it sucks that like, oh, I spent that money and now I'm never going to get those items. Like you should be able to continue earning that. And that's that. I really think that that is the way that battle passes should exist. Like I get it. Like if you want the free track to be time limited, but if you pay money, I feel like that stuff should be yours. It's just either once the season ends, if you don't want to continue having a battle pass, like, I don't know. It's just there, there's got to be some better way to handle it than like, oh, well, something came up in your life. Too bad. Sorry you spent that $20 or whatever it costs. Yeah. It's weird because, yeah, uh, Halo Infinite, you, you mentioned, is like a great example. Like Halo Infinite and Overwatch both kind of struggle seasonally um, in the same way for me, which is like I'm just not sold on what the Battle Pass contents are. Mm-hmm. Um, X, Halo, I just feel like is like their systems are too confusing with the cores and the uh, cosmetics and all that stuff. For Overwatch, it's that um, you know it's a game where you have your mains and like I have a few mains, but there's like a ton of characters and sometimes I'll go at, like I'll look at the battle pass and there's not a single thing that it works for or something that I want for any of my mains. And so I'm like, well, I don't really care. Like I'm not going to use this Mercy Mythic. I don't play Mercy, so like why? spend the time trying to get to the end of it. And I, I don't know if there's a way to remedy that, unfortunately, um, on a battle pass level, because I don't think they can just make 100 skins every season. Um, but yeah, I just really struggled to feel like I need to get through the battle pass. Um, the skins are cool, but if I don't play that character, I don't really care. See, I'm in kind of the different camp there, because I like to play pretty much every character in Overwatch. I mm-hmm, okay. The majority of my time playing is in mystery heroes because I love kind of like the the dice roll that you get with that, yeah. where it's like suddenly you have five support characters and it's like, all right, how are we going to overcome this? But then you get wiped and it's suddenly like you have four tanks and a DPS and you're like, okay, we're we're going to roll for a little bit here. Yeah. So it, I love like the way a match can swing in that way. And it's, it's always a fun surprise whenever you get like a new character. It's like, all right, who am I going to be? And then you get that character. Like, yes, this is this is exactly the character I wanted. Or oh, I guess I'm gonna have to learn how to play this character. Like, it, it encouraged me to become a well-rounded Overwatch player, even though I still have my favorites. Yeah. So I don't I don't really have a problem with that. It's really just like the time constraint. That's what 
just gets me right. Like I, yeah, it's a lot. And eventually, like you know, if I if I were to join this season two weeks in, like the new season just started this week. If I were to go on two two weeks in, I'd be like, well, what's even the point? I'm not going to get like the good stuff because I I'm already so far behind. That's what really irritates me about battle passes. But anyway, so I I did make my my frustrations known. He was he, he was very receptive to my feedback. Um, but the main part of our conversation was getting hands on with this mission. It's the the middle mission of the three mission arc that they're releasing in the next season, and it's Toronto. So. The first batch is going to be Rio de Janeiro, which was previously shown at BlizzCon, Toronto, which is the one that I played, and then Gothenburg. Those are the three missions that are coming out in the next release. Before you start, there's actually a previously on video where like it just kind of gives you a recap and it, it's mainly comprised of like other media. So like some of it's like still shots from like things that have have been released in like, you know, kind of like the the the, the I don't know how to really describe it, like the it's moving, moving pictures, basically like not motion pictures. That would be a movie, but like <laughs> moving, you know, like when it's like a still shot, but like there's kind of like animated aspects of it. Um, like kind of like a Marvel snap card where it's like this, it's a still image, but there's like particle effects and everything. Yeah. And like, yeah, that like stuff like that, or like the, the cinematics that they've released, which are amazing. I love the overwatch cinematics. Um, just kind of like tell you the story of what's going on in this moment. And then you're sitting at a computer and it's, I, I believe it's supposed to be like Winston's command center. And there's panels, so you, can, so you can go into one panel in the computer, and it's like, here's some lore. Like, you can read up on what, what's going on. You can, like, view, like, emails that certain Overwatch characters have sent, like, talking about, like, oh, what, 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 I'm glad to be a part of the team or whatever. Because this is kind of picking up right after the opening cinematic of Overwatch 1, where Winston's kind of trying to call the team back together. Yeah. So that's where this story kind of takes place. And basically, this arc, this first arc that they're exploring is a battle against Null Sector. And it's a rogue group of Omnics who are like the robots in, in the Overwatch world. And they want to live by that tank. Isn't that? Yeah, Ramatra. Yeah, yeah. Ramatra, who's one of the Overwatch 2 uh, post-launch characters, is the leader of them, or one of the leaders. Um, I think he's the current leader in terms of this this storyline. And he wants to liberate, uh, this, the Null Sector wants to liberate the Omnics who still serve humans. And basically saying like, oh, humanity, we're supposed to be equals with you, but you treat us like servants and we're, we're, we're sick of that. So they start invading cities all over the world, and then Overwatch is tasked with stopping them. So you, you get a lot of like unique voice lines. You get a lot of lore in this. There's so many unique voice lines, and they're all based on, or not all of them, but some of them are based on who is in the mission. So you know, you choose a team of four, and you like maybe there's an interaction between like Sojourn and Cassidy, and that'll get like a, a thing that you would only get if you have those two characters on your team, or like. Maybe Mercy delivers a line in a certain way, but like if you have Diva in there instead of Mercy, she'll be a little bit sassier with the way she delivers the line. But like you get kind of a good sense of like the team dynamic through these voice lines and like little lore uh, drops that you get sometimes. I, I don't know. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And uh, the characters that are available to choose are limited to kind of the ones that make sense in the story. So in this one in particular, it's only the good guys, but minus a few characters who are also elsewhere in the story like Genji's or not Genji um Torbjorn is doing other stuff um Soldier 76 is doing other stuff so you can't select those particular characters Zenyatta is not available um but basically the story opens and they're in, in this particular mission and they're trying to evacuate the city into these these drop ships basically or not, I guess they're not drop ships they're evac ships 
and you come out and you're immediately in a courtyard and you have to defend the 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 courtyard and the ships as the 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 citizens and the omnics are kind of running to the ship so you you do battle like wave based battles basically and you know there's these grunt enemies that that come out take them out like and, and they're actually destructible so like I was like I was Cassidy um and he was popping heads with with the the his his revolver and I would blow off one of their heads I'm like okay cool I'm done and it's like no they keep coming at you and they're just like kind of like a little bit limited and then you can also blow off their legs and they'll still kind of start crawling at you like terminator style almost oh, so that's, that's cool awesome. and then like there's also artillery enemies that come in they just kind of drop in and then they have these giant guns you can blow off their guns as well which makes them you know less dangerous obviously and then there's these like dog-like creatures that were like running up and like they're harder to shoot. They almost remind me of like the the Promethean dog creatures in Halo. Um, what was it? Halo Five, I think. And yeah, so they yeah, run yeah, up yeah. and they were just trying to destroy the, the the evac ship. So in between the evacuation waves, you have to fight off the waves of enemies, and these little dog-like creatures are attacking the ship. And they have that the ship has a health bar as well, so you have to kind of defend it. And then, uh, so, you know, we, we eventually evacuate all the, the characters in the the room that we were defending. And we move, start moving through the city with this Omnic named Claire. And there were, there's a new type of enemy called Stalkers. Now, these were the, the scary ones. So these are like these kind of like, I don't know if they're like telekinetic or what, but like they basically like they use like a tractor beam and pull you in. And then they just have like these tentacles that they just like beat the crap out of you with. And if you get pulled in, it is a scary scene. Like you are almost certainly getting downed if you get pulled in by one of these things. Um, our, our, the the woman who is playing with us, uh, she was playing as Winston. They seem to always target Winston, and it was it it was rough for her in a lot of senses. But like we we saved her probably about sixty percent of the time. But like you know we we can revolve or revolve revive the characters um, if they do get downed. But yeah, those were the ones that were really like, oh crap, there is a stalker. We need to take care of them immediately because they would cause problems, like substantial problems if we didn't, if we left them unchecked, you know? Mm -hmm. So we go into the subway under the ground and then there's a cutscene that like, we find like an Omnic kind of like, like kneeling on the ground and- Are the cutscenes like uh, the animated short quality or different? Okay, I believe cool. they are. Like I'm trying to like conjure it up in my memory, but yeah, I believe they are in the same kind of quality as that. So the cutscene is basically like you find like this omnic that has like this thing on his head. He's, he seems like he's completely unconscious or powered off or whatever. However, you want to refer to it as an, an omnic, and it's stuck on his head. And we're like, how did this happen? Like, what what is this thing? And we find out very shortly that there is a new enemy type called a subjugator. And these are like they almost look like the 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 um surveillance droids or the, the scouting droids from star Wars where they're kind of like a sphere with like these little like dangly like legs and they're yeah. floating around and they completely ignore the player characters and they only go straight for the omnics. And basically they put these things on their heads and it just disables them basically. And it, it seems like the, the null sector omnics are trying to kidnap the other omnics. And this is kind of one way to, to, to go about it, but basically just, all of these like big battlegrounds. It, this is the biggest maps that Overwatch, or the Overwatch team has ever done. They said they even had to invent like new kind of like data streaming technology in order to make these maps as big as they are. And then also like they had to like reconfigure how their spawning tech works because like it's just there's so many areas that you can spawn. There's a lot of really great areas to to fight, like a lot of really cool battlegrounds. And then like you come out in the subway station, and there's a big battle in like 
the, the subway station in Toronto and then you escape out into a park and it's like kind of like, all right, there's an evac ship on the, at the other end of the park. You have to fight your way through it. And it was getting pretty intense. Like there were, I turned one corner and there were like three artillery robots right there. I'm like, oh crap. And they're like, get in the drop ship, get in the ship, get in the ship. And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going. So that was kind of like the way that mission played out. But yeah, I was just, I was surprised by how huge the maps were. Um, even not taking into account the intro and outro cutscenes, we it took us 31 minutes to get through the mission, which is pretty substantial. And um, it gives you battle pass progress when you play it. So it's not just Ooh, PvP. Nice. So yeah. it's, it's always match made, by the way. I mean, you can go into it with a party, obviously, but like it's you can't go into it intentionally trying to play with bots. And okay. um, they said, well, maybe, you know, as the player counts, if they, if they start dying out, maybe we'll, we'll we'll put a way to play with bots so you don't have long queue times. But basically, the only time you'll be playing with a bot is if, like, you're playing in a mission and a, a player drops out. And until they find a new one, that's when they'll fill it with, like, a bot for the meantime. Um, but here's kind of where things get controversial for a lot of people. I had a great time with the content, but they're going to be charging for it. So, you know, the game's a free-to-play game. So I guess this is kind of like alongside the battle pass and all the, the cosmetics and everything. This is where they're going to start monetizing it a little bit. So there's the Overwatch 2 Invasion Bundle. So by the way, over, or Overwatch 2 Invasion is what Season 6 is going to be called. The Overwatch 2 Invasion Bundle is $15. That includes the three story missions, a new legendary skin for Sojourn, and $10 of Overwatch coins, which you can use if you want to purchase the premium battle pass for that that month or that that season, or you can use it for something else. There's also the $40 Overwatch 2 Ultimate Invasion Bundle, which has all of that, plus you get an additional $10 in Overwatch coins, and then an, a legendary skin for Casty and Kiriko. So that's the, oh, and it's also an, an additional battle pass that you get called the Null Sector Premium Battle Pass. So I guess they're going to have two battle passes for that season, it seems like. Um, so okay. that is, those are the two pricing things. I think that I would probably go for the $15 one. I don't know if I would drop the $40 for all that. Again, maybe they're going to have some really cool stuff in the uh, the Null Sector Premium Battle Pass. I'm not sure. But yeah, that, that's been pretty controversial within the, uh, the community, just given how people were kind of disappointed that Overwatch 2 had canceled the, the hero missions and now the story missions are going to be charging for it, which I think they were probably planning on charging for the missions anyway. But I think that was just kind of like another dig at it. Um, especially given the the free to play nature of the game, it just it always feels bad when they start charging for stuff in a free to play game. Yeah, and if we're getting new uh, new PVE every season, right? Or is that not no, not every case? season? So I oh, asked okay. him like, "Hey, what's the cadence at which you're going to release these?" And uh, Aaron Keller was like, "You know, we're not really ready to talk about that. We are working on additional stuff though uh, okay. already." But I mean, even then, like after four ish drops uh then you've already paid for like a full price game and then every charge after that will feel i don't know i mean i haven't played it, it sounds like a great time I, I do want to check it out but i'm i'm in the camp where the 15 dollars just feels especially painful um given everything that's happened since the release of overwatch 2 pretty much like and I, I don't know. Like, I don't, this team, they just need a huge win, and I hope that these story missions are that. Um, but yeah, that price with it does not help the case. The only way that I'm justifying it to myself, right? Like, as somebody who does want to play these three story missions, is that, like, you know, if I was going to get the premium battle pass, that is only $5 extra, right? Yeah. Because it comes with the $10 worth of Overwatch coins, which is enough to purchase the premium battle pass. 
and that is included in the $15 bundle. So that is the only thing that like I think That's soft, fair. softens yeah. the blow. If you're going to buy that premium battle pass anyway, you might as well get that for $5 more and get the three story missions. But I totally understand why people would be kind of wary about that. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Every time I talk about Overwatch 2, I just it's just such a, it's a bizarre uh, sequence of events to see what has happened. And I'm sure there's like a, you know, a bigger story behind the scenes that we might not ever get. But um, yeah, it's just crazy. I went from loving Overwatch 1 and playing it every day with my friends and none of us are tapped into two near as much but i want to be you know um so maybe that was my main takeaway that was my main takeaway from going to blizzard and playing this game is like man i miss playing this game i actually played some last night i fired it up for the first time in several weeks i had a great time i only played like a few matches but i had a really good time just like jumping into mystery and like being like oh this this character plays different now they must have done like a rework of them or something and it's a great game at its core but yeah there's just so much stuff around it that i'm not a fan of it's a trend that we i mean we talked about halo earlier and i'm sure there's other examples i can't think of right now but yeah these companies uh shifting drastically to be a seasonal battle pass type game is uh, i mean maybe on paper it seems easy and there's lots of money to be made there and companies are doing it you know there are companies doing it right fortnite's very successful destiny is very successful but it's a tough sell to take an existing game and then turn it into that um, and I think that's what Halo and Overwatch and other games are dealing with. Um, and I don't know if anybody's quite knocked it out of the park yet. Yeah. So I hope that they can turn it around because it seems like they are taking fan feedback. The yeah. people that I, I met with are very passionate about the game. They obviously know what they're talking about. I just hope that they are being given the free reign to do what they do best, which is make a solid game. And it's not being hampered by kind of like the bottom line that is coming down from activision or blizzard or whoever's like man i mean i don't know if there are mandating that like this might be the, the creative decision that they wanted but i have a feeling that this it it, it probably was something that like the higher ups were like hey battle passes are all the rage let's yeah. let's do one of those and make it a free-to-play game where i i'm with you i would have rather just done what overwatch one did where you know pay the 60 dollars up front or whatever it was i forget if overwatch one was it, i think it was a 60 dollar game pay the 60 dollars up front and then Every once in a while, I didn't feel so bad being like, you know what? I put a lot of time into this game. I'm going to throw them $20 and get like all this, all these extra loot boxes and everything. And I was not a fan of the loot boxes at the time. Now I would take the loot boxes yeah. 10 times out of 10. Which is a wild statement, but I completely agree. Even like halfway through season one, I was like, I definitely prefer loot boxes, which is is wild. And I'll be honest, like Blizzard got more of my money, which is their ultimate goal when there were loot boxes. Every paycheck I would buy like the, I don't remember, like the $30 bundle or whatever so that I had enough coins to get a bunch of loot boxes. Me and my friends would like get on a chat and do that and we would bust open our loot boxes and see what we got. And it was awesome. I enjoyed it. I know loot boxes are a problem in uh, in many ways, but like it worked for me in Overwatch 1 and I just have not been engaged at all with the seasonal passes and I know I'm not alone. I like I I hope that this transition has helped, you know, everyone at Blizzard be more comfortable developing this game, but um it's it's wild to think that I prefer loot boxes. Yeah. Well, you know, you the the original reason that I fell off of Overwatch was because the end of Overwatch 1's life cycle just became a barren wasteland of no Nothing. new content. Yeah. And they acknowledged that, you know, that was the reason that they canceled the the hero missions ultimately was they were like, we're devoting too much time, too many resources to this. And it's coming at the cost of the live game. 
like that they said like that that was the big thing is they transitioned too early to creating the hero missions and that's why overwatch one's content suffered so yeah. what they ended up doing was they were like yeah we're still doing that even this long into overwatch 2's life cycle is like we're still putting way too much attention on that so what they did was they they did tell me that they kind of picked at the stuff that they did accomplish with those hero missions because you know they put a lot of time into it admittedly and so they did transition some of that stuff and recycled some of that stuff into like things that we're going to see in the future. However, they're kind of showing what can happen with a fully operational team supporting the live game because season six, which is where the story missions launch includes the following stuff. So there's another co-op mission. This is a new bonus co-op mission on King's row called underworld. And it's new areas of that map that you've never seen before. And you guide a push bot forward and it's a story mission. And it says that there's going to be new objectives and enemies that players might recognize. It's it's separate from the actual story missions, quote unquote, but it is like kind of like a, it's like one of those like limited time event stories that they did um, in Overwatch one. And they have continued to do in Overwatch two. There's also hero mastery missions, which you do like you just take control of a hero and a particular hero and, and complete various objectives with them to unlock rewards there's flashpoint which is an all-new pvp mode centered around controlling uh like kind of a progression of locations like this is a new like spot on the map and you go and you you try to control it the first team to control it gets a point and then you go over and there's a there's another control point you need to go and it's just kind of like whoever controls it gets kind of the advantage in the match and that adds two new maps that are the biggest overwatch pvp maps in history so this is just a massive season that they're going to be bringing out. And, you know, I'm hoping this is kind of the start of them turning things around, but I really do think they need to address kind of the free to play structure in order to make that the case. Yeah. I mean, we'll see in the long run what this is. I mean, they're going to be playing. This is, this is the game for five, six, seven years. So they've got time. It's just how many players are still playing when that time comes. Yeah, they um they have a good foundation. They continue to have a good foundation. They just need to find the right sweet spot that's not going to sour players. And you know, a lot of free to play games, they intentionally try to sour players into spending money to ease the frustration. I don't think that's what Overwatch 2 is necessarily doing aside from the part where it's like, yeah, you can pay money to get extra levels in the battle pass. I think that is entirely intentional. But the I mean, the, any game that's pay to win, which Overwatch 2 is not, any game that is pay to win has an element that they want to frustrate their players. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that the only part of that that you see with overwatch two is the, how slow the battle pass progression, which they have eased a little bit, but yeah, I think that the overwatch two just needs to find the right balance, right? They, if they want to continue the free to play, then do that. Otherwise, like give us a $60 microtransaction for lack of a better word. And just let us like have like kind of the old structure. Like if you want to like be like, hey, Overwatch 2, it, it now has the option to like pay $60. And then that's just kind of like it goes back to a more player friendly format. I don't know like what the solution actually is. Or maybe they just accelerate work on Overwatch 3 in a couple of years. And that's where we go from there and like go back to the premium model. I think that would attract a lot of players back, honestly. Yeah, I don't I know. The, I mean, the ultimate goal of going free to play is to broaden your player base. I'm sure they had a huge explosion at first. But how many of those players stuck around is the real question. Exactly. It's just, it's, I mean, games industry is such a frustrating pendulum to watch as like a fan and then someone who covers it. Like 
trends are big. Like one game company does something really well and then a bunch of game companies, well, I shouldn't say the developers, executives up top are like, hey, we should also do that and make a lot of money like them. And then it just doesn't work because you can't just pivot like that. And we see it happen, you know, with uh, like looter shooters and, and games like Destiny trying to be Destiny and not working. We're seeing it happen now with battle passes. And then, you know, a couple years later, they kind of revert back to form. Like EA was um, all about multiplayer games. And now they're doing single player games and finding out that those are very popular. Their Star Wars games are incredible. And it's just, it sucks like knowing how these um arcs go and knowing where it's going to end and just having to like kind of sit through the five years where the games industry is figuring it out and it's um i wish that executives did not uh have so much control over developers basically well unfortunately they're the ones that cut the checks and make all yeah, the decisions exactly. and have the shareholders to talk to um but yeah, yeah. I, I i hope that the trend chasing that we're seeing in the single player space is going to continue because lately we've, yeah. we've gotten a lot of really great single player games you may remember like this time 10 years ago, like you had indicated with EA, multiplayer was everywhere. Like it was just yeah. like oh, Mass Effect 3, multiplayer. This game, multiplayer, whatever. Like Dead Space 3, we got to add co-op. It's like, I'm Why? glad that we've kind of gone the other direction with that, where it's like, no, we can put out amazing single player games. And, you know, if you put out Tears of the Kingdom, it's going to blow away everybody. And obviously that's a, an edge case because it's one of the greatest games of the last 10 years. But yeah, it's. It, I hope that developers are starting to learn some lessons from these these cases. But clearly, you know, Overwatch Two is making some big strides. They're they're adding these story missions that people have been wanting since Overwatch Two was announced in twenty nineteen. I almost said nineteen ninety nine, but no, twenty nineteen. <laughs> it feels like nineteen ninety nine. That's how long it's felt. But yeah, yeah twenty nineteen, almost four years ago is when these were announced, and we're finally getting them. Uh, this season, so season five kicked off this week, so we have a little bit of time, but uh, season six, which is called Invasion, contains all the stuff we just talked about and it arrives on August 10th. So I'm looking forward to it. I am going to try to get back into Overwatch to see because, you know, like I said, Aaron Keller, he, he felt very earnest in my conversation with him. He let me know that, you know, we're, we, we have taken player feedback into consideration with the battle pass. I'm going to go back and give it an actual shot again because, you know, it's the first time since the early two, the first two seasons where it's like, I'm going to actually really try to make some progress on this thing. We'll see if I actually can stick with it because this month is just insane for game releases. Uh, was, you know, I, I also spent a lot of time last night playing Street Fighter Six, and I know I'm going to probably lose my life to Final Fantasy 16 when that comes out. So we'll see how much time I actually do have to devote to Overwatch 2, but... Season 6 launches on August 10th. We're going to take one last break, and when we get back, we're going to do Definitive Ranking and eShop Gem of the Week. We will be right back. We are back, and it is time for Definitive Ranking, a recurring segment where we take a Nintendo topic and give our personal top five lists. Since last week was the big summertime showcase week with several streamed presentations, but Nintendo is still missing in action... Wes, I want to get your top five announcements you hope Nintendo will give us in its potential summertime Nintendo Direct. Start at five, count it down to one, give me a sentence or two about each. Number five, uh, Pokemon GBA games. Um, Ooh, I've talked about it on the show before, but I want gold and crystal and silver. And you know what, even let's go, uh, game, or those aren't, those are Game Boy games, but I also want Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald. You know, I just want Pokemon games on my Switch, dang it. Um, and I want them to be... 
they can be on Nintendo Switch Online. They can be piecemeal, whatever it takes, just to make it happen. Um, number four would be I want a new 3D Mario game. I want yes. to know what the heck the Odyssey team is working on. It's been six years and we don't have nothing. We got our Zelda sequel. So where is the Odyssey sequel? Um, and I hope it's an Odyssey sequel. I'm not ready to leave the Odyssey mechanics and and, and playground. Um, number th- they're so good. They're so yeah. good. And we only Capture got one. Mechanic. And we didn't get much DLC. We got like the little uh, hat DLC, the little trial. I forget what it's called, but it was like a multiplayer Cappy. thing. Yes. Um, I number- thought for sure we were going to get like just the 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 structure of that game. I thought for sure we were going to get new kingdoms as DLC right? and everything. Never happened. Why not make a, a Luigi's Mansion world to tie into the release of Luigi's Mansion Three? Like there, it was just eh. or Isle Delfino. Yeah, it was so much missed opportunity there, and I hope that that's just because they've been busy working on this wild Odyssey Two. I really um, hope so. Next up, uh, similar vein, new two D Mario. Oh, um, interesting. I want a new 2D Mario game and I want it to have a brand new art style. I don't want the new Super Mario Bros. art style anymore. I've never been a fan of it. And it's been long enough that I think we can move on to uh, something that is next. If and we move on to, if we move away from the Mario Odyssey mechanics after one game and we got four new Super Mario games with yeah. those mechanics, I will be enraged. Yeah, I, that's the worst part is like, I wouldn't even be like that surprised. That sounds like a type of decision Nintendo would make that we'd all be shaking our heads at. And it would be a fun 2D Mario game and it'd be a fun non-Odyssey 3D game, but like the layup is right here. Just do the layup, Nintendo. Just do it. Um, and then number two and one are kind of hand in hand, so I'll just say them both. I just want to see uh, a new console and I want backwards compatibility on it. Um, I don't know if we're getting that, but I'm ready for it. I'm I'm ready for a new console and I just want it. I don't know. I don't care what it is. Actually, I do care what it is. Something similar to the Switch and have it have backwards compatibility, please. Those are the two biggest wish lists for me as well in terms of like, but I don't think we're going to see that at an upcoming direct. I think they're going to save that for like a late this year, early next year announcement, honestly, because I think that we're probably, mm-hmm. if I had to guess, I think the next Nintendo console is probably going to come end of next year. That's yeah, my guess I, for like when we would get a new new console. They need to get through this holiday. They're not going to do it before this holiday season because that would hurt their sales for this holiday, which is always great for Nintendo. But like early next year, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we got a... It was March, right? We got a March... Or no. When March is when announce? it came out. March is when it came out. And they announced what, in October? The Same big reveal was, event was like in January, like two months before. Like that was when they had like the big press conference with like... The couch remember, and snapping on stage, yeah. Remember Suda51 came out and like yelled like yeah the, and and he's like and like he like yelled and he's like oh that was louder than i expected <laughs> yeah we got the switch and that i think that was the same day as the red dead 2 reveal red oh dead redemption God. 2 reveal i remember those two things being connected um but yeah that's what i want i don't think i'm getting any of this at this next direct unfortunately um but i'd love to be wrong i think that the the most likely one is actually going to be the mario odyssey follow-up yeah if I had to guess. So, all right, here are my five. Number five, I want just the acknowledgement that they're going to be doing DLC for Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. Like, that's, hey, this game I came like out. That's a shoo-in. I think that would be a great announcement. And then leading directly into that, I want, uh, th- this, again, this is a thing that I say all the time. Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, Link Between Worlds on Switch. No, you're never getting that. It's never happening. Give them to me. 
Just <laughs> give them to me. Those are the three best Zelda games that are not currently on Switch. Gimme. Number three, I want a new Donkey Kong Country game. It's been a long, long time since we've gotten, what, 10 years since Tropical Freeze? Yeah. Maybe even longer than that. And, you know, Donkey Kong Country Returns, put that on Switch. I, the, the 3DS version with those controls and then just up-res the, the Wii visuals, that's a solid release right there. But I would love an all-new one. Yeah, me too. Um, number two, come on, Metroid Prime 4. Yeah. It's time. Let's see something. I really just want to see that it still exists, even though, you know, we see like retro studios still hiring for that game. So it may still be a ways off, but just give us some glimpse into what we're going to be expecting for that. And then number one, I think this is a very likely outcome. New Mario game. I think that uh, I hope I really think that, that this direct is going to give us a new Mario game. Uh, whatever, whenever this direct ends up happening, I think that that's going to be like the one more thing. Like, hey, here is the new Mario game. And I think it's going to come out this holiday season. Ooh, I don't want to get people too that high. That would be pretty incredible. I mean, I think that's going to be their big holiday game, holiday game, because as we discussed on this episode a few weeks ago, before, like the only stuff that we have from Nintendo Pikmin. is Pikmin in July. We have a Splatoon expansion still scheduled and then we have pokemon has two expansions scheduled to come out as well and now we have everybody one to switch which we haven't even talked about on this podcast but yeah that was <laughs> something that was yeah. announced kind of like in a weird space where i was traveling and and we didn't get to talk about it too much because summer game fest stuff crept up on us but yeah those are like the only like nintendo published things that are on the calendar right now so i think that nintendo has a lot that they're gonna give us in this next direct. And I would not be surprised if a new Mario game was kind of the big holiday release. Cause they need something, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, it makes sense. I just don't want to believe cause I don't want to, I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be hurt. By Nintendo. <laughs> but yeah, like what are we playing this holiday? It can't just be like a Mario Kart eight DLC pack and um, Pikmin four is great, but that's July and it's never been like a massive system seller type game. So they, they got to have one last hurrah since this is probably our last holiday season. Or do they? It. Because think about the way the Wii just kind of whimpered out, the way the Wii U just kind of whimpered out, the way the 3DS even, which, you know, was more successful than the Wii U, just yeah. kind of whimpered out at the end. Like, could we be reaching kind of that era of the Switch where it's like the Switch is more more successful than any of those systems I just named? But are we going to reach the era where it's like, all right, Nintendo developers are going to start like changing their attention to whatever the next console is and start developing stuff with that and start fooling around with that technology? Are we going to start getting to that era of the Switch in, in the near future? Like, is this next Direct, whenever it ends up being, is that going to be kind of like, oh, yeah, we are reaching kind of like the 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 part of this where it just feels like a desert, right? Where it's like, oh, there's like I not a lot that. on the calendar. I don't know. They're, they're, they're close enough. I don't remember what the number one best-selling console is. It uh, PS2? PS, PS2. I, th I They're like not far off, right? Like 15 million, 20 million away. I don't know. I mean, um, a lot. <laughs> there's a, yeah, that is a lot. There's a list on Game Informer because I've written down this list like 10 times, but so the switch is not? currently The Switch is currently the number three selling gaming system of all time. What's behind Game Boy? The PS2 and the Nintendo DS. Oh, what's the but DS at? 
it is less than a million behind the PS2. So like they could have kept going and overcame the PS2, I think, but they were like, no, it's time. It's time to move on. Um, the Switch would need to sell another 30 million to beat the PS2. Mm, okay, well, that's not happening. But still, it'd be fun to try with a new Mario game this holiday season. It would be. And I mean, now's the time to release a Mario game. We just got a Mario movie, which obviously was very successful. Yeah. Did so, we have a Odyssey on our cover? We did not. Oh, we, we did get close, be, but it ended cool. up falling through. It'd be cool to do a Mario cover. I would like... Have we done one in the past decade? The only time that we did a Mario cover since I can recall was New Super Mario Brothers U, but it was a combination New Super Mario Brothers U, Wii U launch uh, cover. Hmm. So Man, I, don't I would we... love to just see Mario with Cappy on the cover. Odyssey yeah, 2 or something. So cool. I did do a feature on Mario Odyssey, but it was not a cover. Mm, um, that was when I traveled to Nintendo's headquarters out in Redmond, Washington, Nintendo of America's headquarters, and was, I believe, the first person outside of Nintendo to play Mario Odyssey, but it was not a cover, unfortunately, because there there was a, uh, I think they had an exclusive cover with another magazine, which was a review uh, cover, not a, uh, not a, an actual, like, like kind of in-depth cover. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. a little bit behind the curtain there. So, yeah, those are my top five things I would like to see in the next direct. Um, hopefully we get some of the stuff that we talked about, because if even if we got like a third of the stuff that we speculate on, that's a very strong direct. Yeah, I agree. We're due uh, for one. We're due for a big, a big, uh, big direct. I well, remember last happen, year, but... Nintendo was not in the week of the SGF. kind of SGF showcases either. They kind of opted to do something at the tail end of June. So. I would not be surprised if either next week or the following week we got something like they I, they seem to still like to stay in like the June time frame. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe they'll just be like, hey, beginning of August. Screw everybody. I love it because Jeff Keighley has been open about how he wants Nintendo at his stuff. <laughs> and the idea that they just decide to do a direct two weeks later after his stuff is hilarious. Well, back when Reggie was the president of Nintendo of America, they were always very involved with Keighley's stuff like at the Game Awards. Yeah. No. So I don't know. They still are at the Game Awards. Like, they still... Not as involved as they used to be. Remember, that was the first time we got a look at Breath of the Wild. Yeah, and a Smash DLC and stuff. Yeah, Smash DLC. We used to get big exclusives. And then, like, now the past two years, like, it's been very minor things. But it's never been, like, announcing the first look at The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. It's like, oh, my God. Remember, like, it was just like that that video of Miyamoto and Aonuma sitting in a room talking about how horses wouldn't run into trees. (laughs) That was the weirdest first (laughs) gameplay look of all time. It was off screen. I don't even think they did direct feed at all. I think it was all like off screen footage. It was very strange. We ate it up. And we loved every second of it. But yeah. Moving on to the final segment of this episode. It's eShop Gem of the Week. I'm actually going to take the reins on this one. It's a game that I played back in 2018. I reviewed it for us. It's a game called The Messenger. Have you ever had a chance yeah. to play this game? I haven't beaten it, but I've started it and I got caught up playing something else. But I want to go back to it. This is yeah. the Sea of Stars developer. Yeah, so it is uh, Sabotage is the studio. They are currently, as you mentioned, developing Sea of Stars, which is a very promising RPG. We put it on our cover a few months ago. Yeah, we did. And this this is the game that comes out before it. It's actually set in the same universe as Sea of Stars. Uh, I think it's like 2,000 years separated, though. So it's nothing like directly impacting it between the stories. So you don't have to play this before you play Sea of Stars or anything like that. But basically, it's a Metroidvania that takes inspiration from a game, games like Ninja Gaiden. So it starts off as a linear game, actually, where you're moving from one left side to right side of the screen. And it's very Ninja Gaiden-esque, 8-bit style of art. So it looks like an NES game. 
incredible soundtrack. And then you get to this portion where you're going back and forth between past and future. And when you go into the future, it goes to 16-bit SNES style graphics. So sick. Which is such a cool concept. Because it's like, you know, this is the more futuristic world. So you have like, I guess, futuristic graphics in the sense that it's a Super Nintendo instead of a, an, a, an NES. And it's just a really cool game. There's, I think that the game does struggle with its pacing a little bit when it gets to the Metroidvania style. Because that's, once you get through like the NES exclusive levels, it, it kind of turns into a Metroidvania. And it's more about like exploration than anything. And I think the strong suit is when it's in that kind of curated linear style of action game instead of the metroidvania style but it's yeah. still a very fun game i still scored it i think i mean i didn't even bring up my review but i think i gave it like somewhere in like the high sevens so i still had a really good time with it and um the reason i'm bringing it up aside from sea of stars coming out in august that's, that's august right uh yes um yeah. is that it's currently on sale as well so oh nice twenty dollars is the normal price for it. It is currently five dollars on the Nintendo eShop. Oh yeah, that's a cop. You got to get it. That's such an easy yeah yeah that's a I, steal. Even if you play just the linear stuff and like kind of stick around a little bit for like the the SNES stuff, and I'm, I'm maybe being too negative on it. Where the 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 SNES Metroidvania style stuff is just I like it less. I still like it, but I just like it not as much as like the linear stuff that they put out. Um. But yeah, yeah you, it, you gave it an eight. And okay, I gave it an eight. Thesis paragraphs, the very end, or not thesis, the ending paragraph. While the Metroidvania approach doesn't play into the messenger's strengths as much as the linear stages, it's far from a deal breaker. So there you go. You still remember the your biggest critique from that game back <laughs> yeah. in 2018. So, also, yeah. Sea of Stars is August 29th, uh, 2023. And there's, I think there's a demo for that on Switch as well. But also, I yes. wonder if Sea of Stars, it takes place in the same universe. That very much uses the SNES style visuals. I wonder if that is because it takes place in the future. Uh, that'd be really cool. That would be such a cool connective tissue. There has to be something like that in this game, like some kind of twist, right? Like that's Messenger. If you if you haven't played the Messenger, you still know that like it's big twist is the visual change. I wonder if Sea of Stars is going to do anything. Imagine like if that. there's like a part in the game midway through where Sea of Stars goes back in time and suddenly it looks like Final Fantasy 1 or like Dragon oh, Quest. So sick. That would, that would be, be amazing. That would be such an awesome twist there. But anyway, Messenger came out in 2018, so it's been a long road to Sea of Stars. And uh I definitely recommend checking it out if you have like an affection for like Metroidvania style games or even like those old school NES Ninja Gaiden games. Yeah. So, Wes, that is an episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Yes, of course. Thanks for having me on. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Do me a favor. If you haven't already, throw all things Nintendo a five-star review and hit that subscribe button. And if you want to get any questions or comments in, you can get in touch with me at allthingsnintendo at GameInformer.com or hit me up on Instagram at Brian P. Shea. You can also join the Game Informer Community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel even just for one month. Wes, tell everyone where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at LeBlancWest. You can hear my voice on the Game Informer YouTube channel, and you can see my writing on GameInformer.com. If you're listening to this and you're very excited about the not-Switch game, Final Fantasy 16, go check out our Final Fantasy 16 hub. I put a lot of work into it, and I'm really proud of it. A lot of great stuff in there. One of the most fleshed-out cover hubs we've ever done. Great work on that, Wes. I definitely Thank recommend you. everybody to go check that out if you are a fan of Final Fantasy 16 or excited about Final Fantasy 16. It's right on the horizon here. So if you want to learn everything you can about that game, Wes's cover hub is about as good a place as any. <laughs> Thank you. That is our show for this week. Thank you all again so much for listening. Take care. We'll see you next time.